Well, there was a man who was having difficulty communicating with his wife, and he concluded that the only explanation that could possibly explain what was going on was that she must be losing her hearing. So he decided he was going to conduct a little test without her knowing about it, just to see how bad it had gotten. So one evening, he sat in a chair on the far side of the room. And her back was to him, so she couldn't actually see him. And so then very quietly, he whispered, Can you hear me? There was no response. So he moved a little closer, and he asked again, Can you hear me now? No reply. So he quietly edged closer and whispered the same words, but still no answer. So then finally, he moved right behind the chair she was in and said, Can you hear me now? And to his surprise and embarrassment, she responded with irritation in her voice, for the fourth time, yes, I hear you. <laughs> More than ever before, we're living in a world where everyone rains down judgment on each other without knowing what's actually going on in their lives or their circumstances. And it's gotten to the point in society where CBC has actually had to turn off commenting on their Facebook posts because the comments back and forth between people are so volatile, vulgar, and judgmental. If you read things on Facebook, you just see that if someone has an opinion and they share it, people just assume that they are a certain category of person or that they believe a certain thing uh, just because they believe one thing. Uh, we, we make judgments about people when we see them. When we see someone not wearing a mask in the grocery store, we automatically assume that they are in... I'm going to trip over this stuff. <laughs> I better move this. All right, we're good. Um, when you see someone not wearing a mask, we automatically assume they're an anti-masker, not that perhaps they have COPD or severe asthma. But this was a problem long before this pandemic began. When we walk by someone who's homeless on the street, the first thing that most of us think is they're probably an addict or an alcoholic. And that any money we give them will be probably thrown away and wasted when we don't actually know anything about the person at all. Or how about that almost instinctive way that we uh, give someone a wider berth on the street and hold a little tighter to our wallet or our purse just because of the way that they look. We're very good at taking outward appearances of people and turning them into a person's identity, as if that's who they are, if that's all that they are, when we don't even know if our assumptions about them are right or not. Now, I promised when we started this series on James we'd be dealing with some very tough and some very hard topics, and that's going to be another one today. Uh, I want to start off with a lighter, funny story just to kind of lighten the mood a little bit, but um, with the jokes aside, it's not going to be an easy uh, passage to go through because there's a lot of very applicable things here for our lives. And what we're going to see today is that when we make distinctions among ourselves, when we judge others, or when we treat someone better than someone else, or when we act with prejudice and discrimination, even if we're not aware that we're doing it, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we're sinning against them. And we're sinning against God. Instead of leaping to judgment as Christians, we should be choosing mercy every day. Because Jesus first showed mercy to us, even though we were all dead in our sins. He showed mercy to us, and so now it's our job to show mercy to others as well. 
because we know that we are no better than anyone else. So let's open with prayer, and then we'll read our passage for this week. Father God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you that you did send your son Jesus to die for us and to pay for our sins. I just ask that instead of us maybe feeling an air of superiority, that we would be humbled and remember that we didn't deserve salvation, and we did not deserve your son to die for us, and that we are no better than anyone else. I just ask that you would help us to remember that and to be humble and to learn to choose mercy in our interactions in our daily lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today our passage is James 2, verses 1 to 13, and I'm very excited to announce that I have slides. <laughs> this is the first time this series. Uh, my life has finally calmed down enough after graduation. I was able to get some slides up on the screen for you. So um, you can follow along up there in your Bible, uh, and I have it up there in the NIV. So it says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold rings and, a, and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but to this poor man you say, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who says you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So as you can tell from this passage, there's clearly some people in the church who are treating the rich with respect and honor, but they're discriminating against those who are poor or wearing uh, dirty clothes and treating them badly. And I'm not going to read that again, but it's going to be up on the screen. Um, and it's just basically saying this, this object lesson of, suppose this happens. Uh, and so it kind of sounds hypothetical. Maybe this was just an example of something they shouldn't do. But then, down in verse 6, uh, which isn't up on the screen yet, James says they have insulted the poor, which definitely makes it sound like this was not just an obscure illustration. This was happening in the church. The first thing I want to talk about is the word favoritism in this passage. And I've said this to you many times before. Um, the original Greek does not always translate well into English. Uh, and so there's all these different translations of the Bible uh, for that reason. Uh, but this is a very good example of that. Uh, sometimes there'll be a Greek word that doesn't have a perfect English equivalent. Maybe there's three words in English that it could be, um, or that it kind of connects to. Uh, but the word favoritism here is actually the Greek word prosopolempsia, 
And it literally translates to the very little translation, receiving the face of. And kind of a sense of that, or what that means to receive the face of someone, is to make judgments and distinctions based on the appearance or the external factors, the face of somebody, maybe their physical appearance, their social status, or their race. In other words, discrimination. Now, favoritism makes it sound like you are choosing to treat someone better because you like them better. But the reality of this passage is that it's talking about treating someone worse because of some external factors. So it's actually almost the opposite of favoritism. Uh, It's saying, I don't like you, not I like you better. Um, and, And so that's kind of what this whole passage is about, is discriminating. And when this happens, when they discriminate based on these things, James says they've become judges with evil thoughts. Now, of course, the culture of that day for sure, and the culture today, favors the rich over the poor. And the Roman law also favored the rich over the poor. Uh, it, was, it was built to sustain this rich class of people. Now, in our society and in modern uh, democracies, uh, we, we kind of try and build it so that it's the middle class that is the, uh, the, the place to be, I guess. Uh, but we still look down on and judge the poor. But that's not the way that God operates. He does not judge the poor. He does not discriminate. And it's not the way that we are supposed to operate either. He doesn't make distinctions between the poor and the rich. He doesn't discriminate based on external factors. He's always, always concerned with the state of our hearts. And that's what always matters to him. Millard Erickson is kind of a... a, authority, I guess, on Christian theology. He's got a big textbook with this big I have at home, uh, and it's just called Christian Theology. Uh, But he wrote this on um, a chapter called The Universality of Humanity. He says, after examining the origin, the purpose, and the destiny of all humanity, the characteristics of race, gender, economic status, age, the unborn fetal state, and marital status become incidental to one's basic humanity, because God has regard for all people. Since God takes that view, it is incumbent upon the believer to adopt a similar view, and to practice a godly reverence for all humanity. And this is especially true for those who may be subject to discrimination. Verses 5-7 to says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you to court and blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now when James says listen here, this is what we call an imperative in Greek, which means a command, which he then follows with a question. And because it started off with an imperative, It's not really actually a question. Uh, It's a rhetorical statement. And the answer is emphatically yes. There's no option for them to disagree. God has chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit his kingdom. But then James says, you have dishonored the poor. These people that they were discriminating against, they were God's chosen people to receive uh, the kingdom. He's chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to inherit salvation. He puts the glory of his redeeming work on display in their lives. He chooses those who were the most afflicted 
and impacted by living under the curse of sin to display his own glory. And that's not talking about people who sin the most. That's talking about people who have suffered the most under the effects of the curse. Those who have suffered the most from the results of sin that is in the world and living in a sinful world. Maybe it's their own or maybe it's the impacts of sin of other people. These are the people who are the most often in history the victims of discrimination and judgment. Yet for those in the day this letter was written, it was very much the rich who were exploiting the less fortunate in society, and we see that today as well. Verses 8 to 11, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, or if you discriminate, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. And if you commit adultery but do not commit murder, you are still a lawbreaker. This is where James gets to the heart of the matter. And I think I said when we started this series, I'm going to say this every single week. Uh, this is the time when I'm going to say it this week too. We do not earn our salvation. Uh, it's not about following the letter of the law and being a perfect person. We can't do that. Um, that's not what this letter is about, and that's not what this passage is about. But he smacks down here any justification we feel that we may have to discriminate or judge or to receive the face of people. Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was during his ministry. And his response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he said the second most important commandment was like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So let's talk about sin for a minute. Uh, sin essentially is any evil action or evil motive that is in opposition to God. It's opposing God and his plan and his will. In other words, placing something or someone in God's rightful place of supremacy. This can be elevating a thing or an object, um, which we call idolatry. It can also be elevating ourselves, like when we decide to ignore God and his word and do what we want instead because we think we know better. For example, when God does not discriminate against people, but we choose to discriminate anyways, that is sin, both against that person and against God himself, because he does not discriminate. Something else about sin is that it doesn't really matter how big or small the sin is. Sin is sin to God. And this is why I say we don't earn our salvation, because if you're just viewing sin as a series of rules, uh, or if you're viewing God's law as a series of rules you have to follow, uh, it's easy to think that that isn't very fair to say that, you know, lying and murder are the same. That doesn't feel very fair to us. Um, and in earthly consequences, they're not the same. But in God's eyes, they are both rebellion against him. And so when you realize that to God, sin is rebelling against him or turning away from his desired order for the world, it's easy to see that small or big, if you're guilty, you're guilty. And that's why James says, for whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one point, they're guilty of breaking all of it. But he says we're commanded to love our neighbor. 
So what he's saying is that if we're not loving our neighbor, we're guilty of breaking the law, and we're guilty of sin. Now again, if we are in Jesus, we are no longer judged by the law because we receive grace through faith in Jesus. But if we judge someone as inferior or not good enough, we are still sinning. And his point is that by judging or discriminating, we are making ourselves just as guilty as we are accusing these people of being, assuming they were even guilty in the first place. And then we come to verses 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is the heart of this entire passage, and it's what I want to focus on today. Because as the church, as those who have been shown mercy and forgiveness by Jesus, despite the fact that we deserve nothing but death, we are now responsible to show mercy and compassion to others. We may be saved, but James says that we should speak and act like those who are still going to be judged for their actions anyways, because judgment and mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And so instead of talking about that verse too much uh, and trying to insert all my own thoughts into it, I just want to read a parable to you from Matthew 18. 23 to 34. This is Jesus' words. He said, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle an account with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all of your debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 1-2, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And this is what he's talking about when he says that we should choose mercy. Because we were shown mercy first. We were shown compassion first. We don't know how sinful other people are. All we know is the sin in our own lives. All we know is what we are guilty of, and all we know is what Jesus has forgiven us for. We don't know how sinful other people are. That's between them and God. But we do know how sinful we are, and we know that God forgave us anyways. So obviously there's a lot to consider in this passage. Uh, it's not a light passage. Again, that's why I want to start off with a joke, because it's a really heavy week. Um, but there's a lot to consider here. 
there are a few things I want us all to remember from what we've studied here today. First of all, when we judge others, we act with evil motives. Our motivations are evil when we judge and make assumptions about other people. The core truth around becoming a Christian is the all-sufficiency of Jesus and the total insufficiency of ourselves to meet the standard of holiness that God requires of us. To become a Christian, you have to admit that you cannot please God. You have to admit that you aren't good enough and that you are powerless to become good enough. You have to admit that you are a sinful being who falls short of God's standard of holiness. And that's not easy to do. We don't like that. We don't like to expose our souls in such a way because it requires vast amounts of humility. And I think that's a big part of why we judge others sometimes as Christians, is that it helps us feel like we're recovering a bit of that. You know, I may not be a perfect person, but at least I'm not like that person. Heaven forbid. <laughs> it, it helps us to feel somehow morally superior. Uh, we put people down to elevate ourselves, when really we should realize that we are no better than anyone else. And I think the reason I think this is true is that uh, there's this growing movement in our churches uh, worldwide uh, where we, we get angry vocally about these sins, but we always pick the flashy sins that uh, we can't personally relate to to judge other people for. And we ignore so many others because it's not cool for me to get righteously angry at people for being gossips or gluttons or having uncontrollable tempers. And all those things are sin in the Bible. That's not cool because they hit too close to home for many of us. By choosing the big flashy sins to get angry about, things I can't relate to, I can separate myself from the more sinful people, despite the fact that I have 10 or 15 burger loves every year. And that makes me feel better about myself. And it even allows me to ignore the things like gossip, which is mentioned as sinful and destructive 133 times in Scripture. Or prejudice and discrimination, which is mentioned over 30 times. Or caring for widows, orphans, and the poor, and loving your neighbor, which altogether is mentioned hundreds and hundreds of times in Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that these flashy sins aren't sins. I'm saying that we focus on things that we can't relate to because it makes us feel better about ourselves, which allows us to ignore the very important and heavily addressed issues and sin in our own lives, that God is very concerned about as well. And this is what I think James means when he says, when we judge others, we act with evil motives. And that brings me to my last two much shorter takeaway points, because the first one's the longest. These two will be much shorter. Second, when we judge others, we commit sin against God, and we invite judgment on ourselves. James says that in our passage that if we discriminate and if we judge others, we sin. Simple as that. In our efforts to call out other people for their sin, instead of focusing on our sin, or in the way that we treat people poorly in silent judgment, we're actually sinning. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Our job as Christians is not to act as the judges of the world, and we have to be very, very careful not to let that become our mission because that is God's role and his job. If we do so, we actually invite judgment on ourselves. 
He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. We have been shown mercy and compassion by God, despite being sinners, and therefore it is our job to do the same to others. That's all I have to say about that point, but it's very important, and it's something that I want us to remember as we leave. And then third, when we do show mercy and compassion, we reflect Jesus to the world. We can give in to the temptation and judge others because it's easy and it feels good. Or we can show mercy and compassion because we're all sinners. But Jesus died for us anyways. Every single person on the face of this planet is made in the image of God. We bear his image. And there's something spiritually significant about that. Jesus did not, in his ministry, turn away from the outcasts the poor and the socially rejected, the tax collectors who the Jews considered to be the worst of sinners. Neither should we. They are made in his image, and he loves them greatly. And we have to remember that. So to conclude, every day we have a choice. We can choose to judge those we come across, or we can choose to show mercy and compassion, love and kindness, like Jesus showed to us. And my prayer for us as we leave today is that we would choose mercy. That we would choose love and kindness so that the world will see and know Jesus through us, our words and our actions. I want to finish by reading the words of Jesus himself in another parable found in Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you in, in sick or in prison and go visit you? And then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. This is where we usually stop reading. I'm going to keep going. Then he shall, he'll say to them, well, those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do to me. Just close with prayer. Father God, I thank you today for your word because it edifies us and equips us, but it also cuts through flesh and separates and, and discerns and it, it helps us grow into better people who reflect you. And even though it hurts sometimes, and it's hard to hear, I just ask that you would help us to get past that part of it and to apply it to our lives 
and, and to become reflections of you. God, it's not always easy to, to follow you and to do the things that you want us to do, but I ask that you would give us the strength and the courage to do it because we don't want to be judges. We want to reflect you. I just ask that you be with us this week as we go out and help us to do that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.